Let's uh, pray together and then we'll start. Father, thank you for this morning. And uh, already we just thanks for Jesse leading and um, the spirit of that. And we seek as we've been in the book of James, it's obvious that you've been doing something. We've all felt it. We've sensed it. And uh, our heart would be that you would continue to do that. And we seek you this morning for how you would connect last week to this week. And we pray that power by your spirit and ask this in your name. Amen. All right, so if you're new or visiting this morning, welcome. We're glad to have you. I've talked to several of you, and uh, we hope it feels like home, all right? And uh, we just ask that uh, you just relax and look around, see if you know some people and meet. But we're in the book of James. We're in chapter 1. So take your Bibles, open up there, take your phones, whatever apparatus you use these days. It's all good. And last week, we covered James 1, 19-21, and... Uh, It states this, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And there were four areas that the Holy Spirit highlighted last Sunday that were steps for repentance and obedience. And we walked through those together. And let's look at them again. Uh, first one we said you might want to respond if you've been slow to listen to the Lord. Like you know He's talking, but you really haven't wanted to listen or pretended to not listen. And you know you've been dragging your feet. That would have been one place uh, last week, if you're new or visiting, by the way, we had people stand as, as a positive way to respond that the Lord had been speaking to them. The second way we talked about is just too quick to speak. Right, uh, too easily giving a piece of your mind that you can ill afford to lose to other people. And uh, the idea behind there was a sense of, I know I need to restrain my tongue. Right? I, need, I know I need to pull that back. And so uh, you could have stood for that. And then the third one was being quick to anger. Okay? Uh, I, I'm just um, staining other people. Right, And I know I need to curb that. I know I sense it rupturing out of me. And I sense it just kind of bursting out and I can't seem to rein it in. And so uh, the whole idea that man's anger does not produce or accomplish the righteousness of God. We think it does. We think we have a right to our anger, but uh, we talked about that. And then number four... Uh, James was talking about the harboring of moral filthiness or wickedness. James actually says about wickedness that it's rampant. In other words, it's all around us. It's around us, it's in our culture, and too often it's in us. Right? And so just moral filthiness and uh, wickedness that tends to be rampant, and we're trying to muddle our way through that. And so we said you could stand. So at the end of the service, after many of us stood, I spoke of... Not leaving it there, but taking the next step and actually talking with somebody. Remember that. That confession is a powerful tool and leads to healing and that we should pray with someone. I mentioned either myself, but hopefully I was hoping it would be others on the staff or elders or mostly your community groups, uh, your posse or your best friend. Somebody could just sit down and say, hey, the Lord really spoke to me in church on Sunday and this is what I stood for, and I need someone to pray for me. Would you, would you pray for me? 
So, let me ask the question this morning. And the question is this. Did you? Did you actually go and talk to someone and ask them to pray for you? Did you go out of the service last week and and sometime this week share why you stood and, and to ask for prayer from someone close to you? And the question would be, well, why would you, I, following through on something like that, be a big deal? Why would that even be important? Well, one reason I'm asking is because of the follow-up scripture that we're going to cover today, right? So if we haven't, we're going to walk right into it. Uh, Take your Bibles, as I mentioned, and let's go to the following verses, because today we're going to cover James uh, chapter 1, verses 22 to 25, and it reads like this. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Anybody see the connection there? Right? Yeah, Yeah, I walked into that myself. Wasn't that beautiful? Yeah, that's a good deal. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like. But the one who looks in the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer, who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So, what I've been trying to do in these messages is not, I do not want this to be a baseball bad guilt trip thing. Right? What I do want it to be is an understanding and a positive opportunity to step towards the Lord and to step with Him in these kind of things. So I just feel like we need to pray again. Right? So I'm, I'm feeling that I didn't talk to somebody, now I'm dead before this message is even getting, you're already clicked out. All right, so let's pray again, right? And just release all that, and then we'll come back to it. Father, uh, I know how I'm wired. And if I hear that, and I hear that question, which is a great question, and I'm the wrong side of it, I'm instantly going to be guilted, and the rest of the service is lost to me. That's not the goal of last week or this week. The goal is to positively respond to you. And uh, as we look to do that uh, this morning. We're going to talk about not just listening, but doing. And uh, we ask for your favor in that. And uh, would you help us do that in a positive way? And we ask this in your name. Amen. All right. So, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. This could be rephrased like this. Be quick to listen, but don't merely listen. Do what it says. Or another way, do what God is telling you to do, right? Isn't that kind of the Christian life is God would speak and we do what he says? Jesus says what? Follow me, right? And so that's what we're talking about. And James is really strong on this point. If you've read the book, many of us have, right? This point does not go away in the book. It it comes back in many different uh, forms. That if you are only a listener, here's what he's pointing out. If you're only a listener and not a doer, you're actually deceived. And there's a lot of different ways that we can get deceived. Uh, uh, This is a self-deception, right? We talk ourselves into something that we're not. And James is concerned about that. The theme of deception is a big one. Uh, It's repeated often in the book. And James is particularly concerned here uh, about this issue of self-deception. Real faith for James is an engaged faith. Not just a listening faith. 
And what he's saying there is simply this. There should be fruit. Right? There should be life signs. Natural byproducts of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. There should be evidence. Should reflect, it should reflect obedience, not just what I call the bobbing head. Right? You ever see in the cars those, those little bobbing heads or dogs, right? And they just, they're always nodding, right? And we can sometimes be like that in church, right? We do the bobbing dog routine, right? Yes, pastor, yes, pastor, yes, pastor. But then we never kind of get around to doing what God was pointing out. And James is talking about it's important to follow through. Uh, it should reflect surrender to a king, not just theological knowledge. Not just up here in the head, but uh, motive from the heart. And James really pounds this theme home. The Expositor's Bible Commentary, one I use all the time, says that verse 22, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves, could sum up the whole theme of James. So basically, that's the theme of the book. Again, I think there's more than a, a shade of autobiographical commentary in this. As James watched his brother's life, that would be Jesus, and listened to him speak, but he really didn't get off the dime until after Jesus resurrected. So I think James knew what it was like, uh, right? He heard his brother talk. And what do you think James did about it at the beginning? Nothing, right? Matter of fact, James probably thought his brother was crazy. And it wasn't until after that he went, I got that whole thing wrong. Rats. So there's a reason it probably resonates with James so strong. So the question then becomes, okay, is this just James's theological soapbox? Right? So, right, he missed it, so now he's on it, and he's, he's just going to pound this thing. You know, something that he extrapolates, even that's way beyond what Jesus himself said. And I want to show you that Jesus himself also had uh, this woven as a theme throughout his teachings. If you have your Bibles or your phones, it's easy to go there. But go with me to Matthew 25. And... Uh, it's a whole chapter, but it reads like this. You've heard this before. Listen along and follow along. It says, when the Son of Man, Jesus is talking to his disciples, they were asking, when will the end come? It says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, and he will sit on his glorious throne. Anybody here in Keith Green here? Right? Sorry, old reference. Okay. And uh, the glorious throne before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. And I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then it says this. Okay? And then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and, and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And, and when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. And I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. And I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. And then 
it says this. And then they will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry? Or thirsty? Or, or stranger? Or naked? Or sick? Or in prison? And did not minister to you? And then he'll answer them saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Jesus had doing in his gospel as well. All right? It was part of what he talked about. So James comes back then and says this. There we go. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. And I was trying to think of illustrations for this and there are examples of this. And I thought of two extreme ones. So neither of us will be these two. We'll be somewhere in the middle. But uh, let me walk you through them. In Acts chapter 8, we run into a guy named Simon the Magician. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. Simon the Magician, he's also known as Simon Magus. All right? uh, and it, the story goes like this, that Peter and John were sent to Samaria to bestow the Holy Spirit uh, to believers. And it says, now when Simon, this is Simon the Magician, not Simon Peter, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money saying, give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray to me, or pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you said may come upon me. All right? So you find a guy who likes what the apostles are doing, thinks he can buy it because he wants that kind of power. And uh, Peter strongly rebukes him. And in the story, it looks and sounds like Simon repents. And it even seems to indicate he might have been saved or baptized, right? He went along with what, what they were doing. But history presents a far different picture of, of this man. Simon the magician, or Simon Magus, uh, actually goes on to become one of the first great opponents to the church and develops the first great heresy that the church had to stand against, known as Gnosticism. Anybody heard that word before, right? Gnosticism was a belief that um, the spirit was good and the spirit was of God. The spirit was perfect and the body was corrupt and the body was fallen. And God was holy and God is pure and God is good. So God can only dwell in the spirit. Okay? He can't dwell in the body because the body is corrupt and sinful. And so what Gnostics said is you have to search for that secret knowledge. That was a big thing, right? Simon is a magician. So magicians like to have their secrets of how they pull things off. So the secret knowledge of um, how you operate that way in the spirit. It really didn't matter too much what you did with your body because your body was sinful. So therefore, uh, just worship in your spirit and what you do in your body really doesn't have any consequence or uh, impact on your spiritual life. Simon 
with that kind of thinking, warped true Christianity in two ways. Number one, it gave them the out um, that they were able to bow the knee to Caesar and still be okay. I can worship Jesus in my heart, but in the practical things of the real world, I'll bow the knee to Caesar because he's the, the king of this world. So I'll worship with my heart with this world and I'll, I'll uh, bow the knee to Caesar on this, in this world. Right? It allowed them that, that duplicity. The other duplicity that it allowed them um, was this one. Yeah, you could still mess around sexually and be Christian. It didn't matter. And uh, the Gnostics were famous for being uh, sexually immoral, sexually uh, licentious, just out there doing all kinds of weird and, and twisted things. Uh, just to give you an idea, Simon traveled with a woman named Helena who was called the female principle, uh, the first conception of the deity. Kind of sounds like something that's going around today, right? Uh, in our world. And uh, so the thing about Gnosticism, it didn't require death to anything. You didn't really have to die to it. All you had to do was separate it out, right? And just travel between your spirit and your body and enjoy both, and it, it didn't really matter. And if Gnosticism's true, then the early martyrs died for nothing. So that, that was the first great heresy that came out. But then James does the exact opposite, points out the exact opposite, and says this, But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, in other words, hangs in there, steadfast, stays with it, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Having talked about Simon Magus, I, I had the chance to watch the opposite side of the spectrum this week uh, that James is talking about and watch the life of one who was blessed in his doing. Uh, I don't know if you got the chance, but on Friday, I was able to watch the funeral of the Reverend Billy Graham. Anybody else able to watch that? A few of us. If you've not watched that, you should do so. Uh, they should have it on YouTube. Go and download it and watch it. It was profoundly powerful. You're talking about a guy, uh, I said 146 million, they estimate 200 million. A guy who shared the gospel with 200 million people. 200 million. Right? Counselor to 12 presidents. Guy who started Campus Crusade for Christ and also responsible for Christianity today. And what was fascinating is this was no high flute and fair or anything. His children talked about him as dad. It was very moving. And one, one of the things that uh, they said was, what they said was, you know the Billy Graham you saw on TV? He wasn't any different at home. He's the same Billy Graham. You know, I said, wow, if my kids would say that my family, I'd be really blessed. Right? That'd be pretty amazing. Uh, Billy looked in the mirror and then acted on what he saw. In his death, he spoke as eloquently of Jesus as he did in his life. He looked in the mirror and he didn't forget. And he persevered over a lifetime. Billy engaged his faith and acted. In other words, he saw what Jesus wanted him to do and then he acted on it and, and worked off it. He, he looked into the perfect law, the law of freedom and salvation found only in and through the Lord Jesus. James calls this the law of liberty. Now, obviously in this, both of these are extreme, right? As I mentioned, uh, Magus is extreme and Billy's extreme. None of us in here are going to be either of those two cats. Okay? But we are somewhere in the middle of that spectrum of uh, those two cats. 
And so um, the question is, where do we land on that? And it's easy in a message like this to kind of what I call overamp or overreact and miss the balance point. The balance point isn't if you're actually walking with the Lord and obeying what he says to do more. The, the balance, point, balance point is uh, if you're not doing anything, you might as well just get up and leave. Neither of those are correct balance points. Balance point is, are you doing what the Lord's asked you to do? Am I actively being surrendered and obedient? As the prophet Samuel says in 1 Samuel 15, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed is to, or listen than the fat of rams. What are they talking about here? What he's talking about is inward surrender is always better than outward conformity. What do we mean by outward conformity? What's going on on the outside is not always what's going on on the inside. Right? We can be very, very different on the inside than what we're portraying on the outside and the people right next to us wouldn't even know it. We can be incredibly deceptive as humans. We, we have it down. And, and so um, the Bible's always talking about the heart issue, that we should love the Lord with our heart. Uh, look at this from the Old Testament. Deuteronomy uh, states this. Here's the law from the Old Testament. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words I have commanded today, that should, they should be on your heart. Right? The heart is the place of drive, of will, of control. It should be in the place of where it comes out from within me. Often we posture that. Uh, Psalm 119 says it this way. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with what? Their whole heart. Who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. Proverbs 20, 23, 7, in the King James Version, says, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. Right? So what we realize is that it's not so much what I'm posturing outside that matters so much, it's what I'm thinking in my heart that really matters. What's really going on inside me as I smile? Right? When people come to church and you ask them how they're doing, what do they tell you? Fine. Okay, so is everybody who comes to church fine? No. Right? What, what may be going on in their heart could be completely different than what it looks on the outside. And that's what James is talking about here. Right. Now, James is talking about the, the law of liberty, the liberty and freedom to cooperate with the kingdom of God. In other words, when we look to Jesus, it's like looking in a mirror. And when we see what Jesus looks like and we see what the kingdom of God like, it says we do one of two things. We look at it and like Simon Magus, we go, huh, think how close Simon Magus was to the kingdom of God. He was right there. I mean, if he's standing there, if he's there, he's like this close. If, if Dean and Lori are Peter and John, weird, all right? But, you know, just imagine, right? Simon was this close to the kingdom of God. And he looked at it and he said, I know I need to change, you know, pray for me so that I don't die. He kind of knew he was in trouble. But he didn't really observe what he was looking at and it says he walked away. 
He not just walked away, but he actually became a heretic of the nth degree of one of the great heresies that the early church had to first wrestle with. Billy Graham, on the other hand, looked at Jesus, looked at the perfect law of liberty, saw the mirror. By the way, if you're wondering where I get this mirror image from, look at Hebrews chapter 1. Right? We don't have time this morning, but he looked in the mirror, saw what he needed, knew he needed Jesus, and then he knew he needed to obey him, and so then he went on to do that. Now, when we're talking about this, we're not, as, and James is not, let's be really clear, we're not talking about a works-based salvation. In other words, I can earn my way into heaven, or I'm, I'm a hot enough dude, or I'm a good enough lady that I just get in because I'm so good that God's got to let me in. No one gets into heaven by their works. The idea that you earn your way to or favor into heaven is an erroneous or false one. But what we and James are emphasizing, what we are emphasizing is a faith-based obedience. I have placed my faith in Jesus so that I will be saved, and therefore now I operate out of faith in him. They're, they're, they run real parallel. You've got to be careful there. There's places to flop over, but they're different than each other. Obedience, steps of faith, naturally produce doing, and blessing. That's what we forget, is if I actually do what God tells me to do, I'm going to be blessed with my life. Uh, I have pounded a lot in this church about couples praying together, okay? And a lot of you are sick of hearing that. And, uh, and several couples have actually come up to me and said, look, we've started to pray together just so you'll stop talking to us about it, all right? And they've come up and said, after though, wow, Steve, this is amazing. Like, like, this is new in our marriage. Like, this is a new marriage. Like, we're different. We can't even put words to what's going on, but, like, this is incredible. What happened? When we pray, we're blessed. And that shouldn't be foreign to us that when Jesus has to do something and we actually do it, it works. It's blessed. When we theoretically sit back like a bunch of armchair quarterbacks on an NFL Sunday or Monday night football, right? We are the most amazing coaches and GMs in the history of the world. We can pick apart all of them, right? Especially the Seahawks. Well, they should have done that and they should have done that. Any of you watching the combines now in the draft? And here's what they, right? We are fantastic at telling them what they should do. But we never have to do it ourselves. We never have to step on the field, right? It's a lot different when you step on the field, right? And just like that in the Christian life, it's a lot different when you actually step on the field of faith and you actually say, I'm going to try and obey what the Lord's asked me to do. Uh, psychologists will tell you that we become like what we focus on, right? Often been said... Uh, what do you spend your free time thinking about when no one else is around? When nobody's watching, when you're, you can check out, what do you check out to? Right? And psychologists tell us that we become like what we check out to. It's also true that we will act like who we focus on. Right? We, we will become like that. So James is insistent that we be careful to have the right focus and not be deceived. 
This issue of deception, particularly our ability to be self-deceived, is, is a, a really important one to James. Uh, look, Paul says this another way in Colossians. Look at this in Colossians. It says, if you've been raised with Christ, in other words, if you've looked in the mirror, okay, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above. The, James would call that the perfect law of liberty. Set it on God's stuff, not just the stuff down here. Not on the things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Let, let me read that again with a little different tone. If you've been raised with Christ, which you have, keep seeking the things that are above where, where Jesus is. Where Remember, he's seated at the right hand of God. And set your mind on the things of his kingdom. Set your minds on the things he's going to bring about. Not on the things that are down here. For you've died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. And you know what? When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you're going to appear with Him in glory. Is that awesome or what? The idea here is that yielding or, or submitting to the Lordship or the leadership of the Lord Jesus Christ is a great thing to do. It's a blessing. It's good. It's listening to the Word of God, both written Word and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and then doing what the Holy Spirit has asked you to do. What has the Holy Spirit coached you in? What, what life lessons has He emphasized with you? One of the great phrases in the New Testament is the phrase, the, there's, there's, the New Testament is loaded with just cool little pithy shots, right? But one of the good ones is the, the obedience of faith for the sake of His name. Paul calls us to the obedience of faith for the sake of his name. That's found both in Romans 1 and Romans 16. And the idea here is that obedience to the faith does require cooperation. Right? We have to cooperate with it. Just think of it from the Lord's side of the equation. I mean, what good is listening if it never progresses to do? Son, daughter, please do this for me. I mean, take it from Jesus' side now, right? You're, you're thinking of it, you're in Jesus' shoes. And he says to us, son, daughter, please do this for me. Ha, that's a great idea, Lord. And then you never do it. As the dad, how would you respond? To show you how simple it is, just think of it this way. Um, how would you respond back? I know I, I'm a dad, right? I, I have four kids. And my response, if it just boils down to just listening but not responding, yeah, whatever, I heard you, right? Which means, no, I didn't hear you at all, okay? Is this, you misunderstand. I wasn't asking, I was telling. Okay, why, why would I say that? Because I expect a response. I'm not asking you to take the trash out. I'm actually telling you to take the trash out. Okay, why? Because I'm dad. That's what dads do. And if that's true for an earthly dad and we should expect a response, wouldn't that also be true of a heavenly father that he would expect a response? In other words, isn't it normal and right for our heavenly father to expect us to cooperate? Wouldn't that just make sense as part of the equation? And here's the point. Jesus does. He taught it. 
Look at this passage in Luke. Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Just that phrase alone, we could stop and park for a while, right? Why do you call me Lord and then not do what I tell you? You ever think of the phrase, no, Lord? It's really kind of an oxymoron kind of statement, right? No, Lord. Yes, you're the Lord and you have the right to ask anything, and you're the Lord and I should do everything, but no. Right? He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when the flood rose and the stream broke against that house, and he could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. And so the idea is built around, this story is built around the idea of building a house. Implicit in that story is the idea that if you're going to build a house, you better have a good foundation. And implicit with that is the idea that if you're going to do that, you need to dig down to the rock so that the house is solid. And the idea behind that is that's going to take some work. And so some people listen and dig down and some people don't listen and just build the house. And we know what that's like. Right? We know we should have quiet times, but eh, nobody's watching during the week. And uh, yeah, I've missed a couple weeks, but yeah, I know what they're going to cover anyway, so it really doesn't matter. Why do I need to spend time in the Word? And why should I pray? I mean, every, every time I seem to pray, things interrupt, and it's just a lot of hard work, and I seem really distracted, and nothing really seems to happen anyways. What does prayer do anyways? Why, why do I need to do that? And so what happens is we float. We know we should dig to the foundation. We know we should you know, cooperate. We know we should be in the Word. We should pray. We should maybe even be memorizing and and actively engaged in the stuff in the church. But it's just so easy to sit on Sunday morning and let they do the rest of it. Right? We treat it like a movie theater. Walk in, where's my popcorn and soda? And then we rate the movie. Eh, Right? This is not a movie theater. And so... What happens is, you can't tell the difference. When we look around this morning, you cannot tell who's actually digging and building a foundation and who's just floating. It doesn't show up. When does it show up? When the pressures of life come. When the storms of life come. When stuff doesn't go the way it's supposed to go. That's when you find out who's building the foundation and who is just floating. Because their house gets smashed really quick. They can't hold up under the pressures of life because they never had the foundation anchored on Jesus in the first place. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. And something else that's quite sobering is this saying. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Who does? The one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And again, it must be emphasized strongly. Listen to me. We are not uh, proclaiming here a works-based salvation that you earn your merits and salvation by your deeds. What we're talking about, equally, I want to be equally strong on the other side of this, it has to be emphasized that grace-based, in other words, He provides the grace, grace grace-based, and faith-empowered obedience is the desired result of the Holy Spirit being at work in our lives. 
And if we mess up, right? So you probably messed up this week. Some of you stood last week and never prayed with anybody. You're feeling guilt this morning. That's not what that's about, okay? We have this really cool thing in the Christian life called the refresh button, right? You ever hit the refresh button? You have those on your computers, right? Hit the refresh button. Whoa, the page comes back. Cool, right? You ever go somewhere on your computer where it gets all messed up and it's just not doing what it's supposed to do and you can't find it and you hit what? Refresh button. Boom, it pops right back up. Coolest thing in the world, right? We have a refresh button in the Christian life. What's it called? It's called confession and repentance. Start over. You got to do over, right? If you didn't pray with somebody last week, guess what you could do this week? You could tell them why you stood two weeks ago I was supposed to say something last week. I didn't. But I got to do it this week because God really spoke to me and I heard him in my heart speak to me. You can confess and you can repent and it works incredibly well to hit the refresh button in the Christian life. That's why I asked the question at the beginning of the message. Did you talk to someone this week and tell them why you stood and then ask them to pray for you? Not as a have to, not as to beat you up, not to feel good. Why? Because it's a blessing. You know what it's like when somebody's really with you and then they pray for you? You know how freeing that is? You, you can walk out with your head up. It's a wonderful thing. So hit that refresh button, all right? Get back to remembering what Jesus asked you to do and, and knowing you're able to do it because of the cleansing and empowering of the Holy Spirit. This, this is just taking us back to such... Simple, great stuff. Taking us back to surrender, back to humility, back to cooperation. Jesus clearly states that the one who cooperates and obeys and does the will of God will enter heaven. That statement shouldn't scare us. That shouldn't rattle us. That should actually encourage us. Because you're here this morning because you want to obey Him. You didn't have to come this morning. You didn't have to show up. You came because you wanted to be here. And that is being blessed by the Lord. Okay? It, it's, it's a great deal. So let's look back at James now and read this passage again after we've walked through this entire thing. What's it saying? This is where communion was supposed to be, so I have a hitch in my spirit here because it's supposed to have a gap. But what does he say? Be doers of the word. Norfew, be doers of it. What does he ask you to do? Not just hearers. Don't deceive yourselves, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he's like. In other words, don't listen to God in here and then walk out those double doors and completely forget what you heard. You ever talk to someone, hey, what was the message about last week? Um, I don't know. Right? No, what was it that he gave you as a takeaway? Take the takeaway with you as you go away, right? One key point is all you need to track a whole week with, with the Lord. Take the takeaway with you. That's why it's called a takeaway. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, looks into that mirror and and perseveres, keeps looking at the mirror. In other words, yeah, life is rough, stuff goes wrong, but keep looking at Jesus being no, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be what? Blessed in his doing. And the encouragement is be blessed in your doing. Be a life that God can bless. 
and be a blessing so you can bless others. And how do you do that? Listen to what he asks you to do and then do it. And when you do that, you will be blessed. Let's pray. Father, as we come up, we're going to sing a song that really reflects this uh, well. Not just the words, but the spirit of it. And um, as we think through this, it's so blasted easy to hear and not do. And to treat it as the great suggestion rather than your commandment. We know you said that the one who loves you will keep your commandments. And Lord, we, uh, we have to think that way. Help us think that way. As we're walking through James here, help it not to just be words. Help us not look at you in the mirror and then walk away and forget who you are. Lord, we seek you for that. Help us with that. Give us grace for that. We admit that we get off track and we admit that we go sideways in the blink of an eye. Help us stay on track and doing what you've asked us to do by faith and obey and complement what you're doing around uh, our world. And we give that to you in your name. Amen.